Hello! You've reached part 18 of 66 books. 66 short studies working through the 66 books of our Bible. And we've reached the book of Job, the book about the suffering of the righteous. Before beginning the main overview of this book, I'd just like to do a short introduction to the type of book which this belongs to, that of wisdom literature. Among the many different types of the book in the Old Testament, there are a group of books known as wisdom literature. These are generally believed to be the books of Job, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, although certain Psalms and parts of other books are also referred to and classified as wisdom literature as well. Over the biblical years God used various kinds of preachers and teachers to instruct and guide his people. He used priests to teach and supervise his law and prophets to bring messages that would reveal his purposes and turn people from sin towards obedience. But he also used wisdom teachers. They did not claim to receive revelations from God in the same way as the prophets did Rather, they were people who examined the everyday affairs of life as people of faith and instructed others and gave advice on how to live correctly. The biblical literature that comes from these wisdom teachers is of two main types. One of these is represented by the book of Proverbs, which deals mainly with the general principles of right and wrong and how they apply to life. The other type is represented by books like Job and Ecclesiastes. They look at the exceptions to these general principles. For example, the, the fact that the righteous sometimes have all sorts of troubles, and yet the wicked enjoy peace and prosperity. The book of Job is the main example of this type of wisdom literature. The writer of both Job and Proverbs acknowledged that an acceptable general principle may not equally apply in every case, but in spite of the exceptions, general principles are still the basis for wise teaching. Wisdom teachers were godly men who looked at life with all its inconsistencies so that they might still try and help people find meaning and purpose in the complications of the life they lived. Though they were aware of a heavenly afterlife, their main concern was to deal with the everyday trials and tribulations that people face in their present life, and we, of course, still face today. So getting back to Job, well, the author of Job is officially, in a sense, anonymous. There's no consistent Jewish tradition as to who wrote it. Job himself, as well as Eliu, Moses, Solomon, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah and even Ezra have all over history been suggested as possible authors. It's clear that Job probably wrote the book that bears his name. We are told that he wrote a book and that he was an historical person. And we know that he was acquainted with the facts that he wrote about. And he is believed to have lived about 140 years after some of the events that are described in chapter 42. Moses, of course, could have obtained the record left by Job. That would explain, of course, how the Israelites possessed this non-Israelite story that dated so far back. 
thinking about who the book was written to, pinpointing the date that Job was written is difficult. A number of factors point to the time of Abraham. The fact that Job's wealth was measured in terms of livestock rather than silver or gold suggests that like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob before him, Job was the priest of his family and offered sacrifices, which definitely places it very early on, as this activity was not allowed after the exodus. The social unit in Job is clearly the patriarchal family clan, and Job uses the classic patriarchal name for God, Shaddai, the Almighty. In fact, he uses it 31 times, and that in itself suggests a pre-Mosaic date. Furthermore, there are no references to the nation of Israel in this book, or the Exodus, or the Mosaic laws, or even the tabernacle. So this and other cultural references mean that most Bible experts place Job during the patriarchal period. The question then becomes is when exactly was the book written? Well, if Job himself wrote it, rather than being redacted later, it was probably written fairly shortly after the events that are described, so probably way back around 2000 to 1800 BC. If Job himself did indeed write it, then the recipients were the people who lived during the period of the patriarchs. The content of the book, however, addresses universal problems important for all mankind for all ages right up to today. Thinking about the message of the book, as in all the poetry and prose writing of the Bible, the language and the word pictures are often striking. This book was not designed to be read as a word-for-word study. Often one verse or several verses may be used to express one basic thought, and these were features that were typical of Hebrew poetry. And the more we understand these features when approaching this book, the better we will understand it. The subject of the book is the suffering of the righteous. The message is that even when the righteous suffer, when that happens, it's not done in order that they be punished for their sin, but that they might be purified and perfected by it. Job's sufferings were proof not of God's judgment on him, but of God's confidence in him. In insisting that suffering may be the result of personal sin, Job's friends drove him to the point where he almost lost patience with him completely, but in doing so they also drove him to God, because Job saw God as his only hope. In making his protest to God, Job may have been guilty of struggling with life, but at least he was taking his protests to the right person. Job was finally satisfied, not through having all his questions answered, but through meeting the God to whom he cried out. He may not have understood God's purposes, but he learnt that God's wisdom was beyond human understanding, and he was still worthy of total trust. God was not answerable to anyone, so he could be satisfied in that. Thinking about the structure of the book, the book of Job, as I said, is a story. But unlike other stories in the Old Testament, this one is not just narrative. It is a story which has a great deal of dialogue. It's more like a drama than a straightforward narrative story. The key to identifying the structure is recognising the type of literature that Job belongs to. Apart from the opening and closing sections, large portions of this book are prose and poetry. 
but roughly it divides into the following section. The prologue in chapter 1 and 2 tells of Job's piety and Satan's accusation against God. Then in chapter 3 through to chapter 30 there is a dialogue that continues and goes on at several stages between Job and his three friends. In Job 32 to 37 Elihu speaks and in Job 38 to 42 we hear God speak. And then in, in the closing sections of, from 42 onward the book closes firstly with a prose dialogue and then a final closing section. The purpose of Job is to teach the righteous to trust a wise and a sovereign God whilst in the midst of their suffering. The book exists to address the universal question why do righteous men, why do good men and women still suffer? Job's three friends said his suffering is a punishment for sin. To Elio, God used suffering to instruct, to correct and to purify the righteousness. None of these explanations seem to give a complete satisfactory answer for Job. When God speaks, he does not usually directly answer the question we can learn from this. He does, however, very clearly seem to be saying, I am still God, I am still sovereign, and I am worthy of worship whatever circumstance you find yourself in. So to summarize this book in a short phrase, it's telling us that suffering is sometimes a mystery. A mystery that says that God's ways are sometimes remain incomprehensible to us, but that he can always be trusted. God allows the righteous to suffer, but if they respond properly, they will and can be purified and perfected. Therefore, God sometimes allows believers to suffer in order to do that for them. <laughs>